Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so welcome back to the Barstoolers Premier League podcast. After the international break, we finally had another weekend of games. And it was probably not the strongest weekend of games. What was your favourite game of the weekend you thought was the best? Um, in terms of the most exciting, probably you would have said the Villa and Brighton match. Surprisingly, I thought I thought it was probably going to be a bit more of a tighter match. Really end-to-end stuff and shockingly, Danny Welbeck was probably man of the match, which I didn't think I'd ever be saying that in 2020. But yeah, he was really, really good. Really good end-to-end. Bit of drama at the end there. I know me and Mixer disagreed upon this all over the penalty. Villa had a penalty um, overturn in the last minute. It was a challenge came in from Sully March on... Was it Trezeguet, I think? It was Trezeguet or El Mahamedy. Looked like he did get the ball. I know some people were trying to make the case that you know he went, went followed through on the player, but... He got the ball first. I don't think he can, I think it was right to overturn that. Other than that, I mean, Villa, again, they got caught out on the counter-attack twice. And for the most part, um, that's where all of Brighton's play came from. You know, I've said all year, you know, Brighton, while they're not brilliant, they've always looked fairly decent on the counter-attack. And I know Tariq Lamptey ended up getting sent off late on the match. But he was probably one of the standout players again. So, yeah, really exciting match. Yeah, Danny Welbeck actually finished a one-on-one. It was basically a carbon copy of the time United were playing Bayern Munich and he went one-on-one with Neuer and he tried to chip him and Neuer just kind of stood up and it was like, oh, cannot believe Danny Welleck has blown that. Uh, but it was a good finish, but I was shocked by how lo- high Villa's line was for that. There was a lot made of United conceding from their own corner in Istanbul a couple of weeks ago, but this was basically as bad. Oh yeah, it was pretty bad now. Equal comments made to Liverpool's high line against Villa, which was so clearly punished and fair enough. But Villa going and doing it themselves while they're flying high, oh, it's not great to see, is it? I think it was a good win for Brighton because I think we've we sort of battered this drum before that Brighton, they're a good team. And finally, they actually won a game. The table's not going to tell you that. 
But to get a sort of a narrow win like that is important for them, I think, because they don't always do it. Especially when they have to do a lot of defending as well. Because I know the 3 0 win they had against Newcastle, it was kind of more of a control win. Newcastle didn't play very well. Uh, but for this match, I mean, Villa were only level for a very short period in the second half. Like they probably they had to defend the lead for pretty much 60, 70 minutes, which I mean, probably stands to. It's got to give them a little bit more confidence at the back because they have been leaking goals a little bit. Um, even though you would have thought that back three would have been pretty decent of Webster, uh, Ben White, and Lewis Dunk. But top end White was brilliant again. It's just kind of because you can play. It's 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 like Ireland at the minute. They're playing well, but they're just not getting that result. Once you kind of get one or two results underneath your belt, it's kind of gives you the confidence to push on and maybe get a few more. I think it's just a lack of quality in Brighton's team, really. I think Graham Park's a fantastic manager. I really like him, but there's very few players in that Brighton team that you could point at and say, oh, yeah, he can come up with something special. Maybe Trossard, Mopé's okay, but generally speaking, it's not too, nothing special. Like, So I, I think they'll definitely be down there. Yeah, I think it's a very workman top two, like Welbeck and Mopé, but it might suit them more. Like, you give uh, Potter... Uh, Grealish and Watkins you see what he does then I mean they're, you could argue with that they're better than Villa because that back five is solid mm. and like Matty Ryan's not to be sneered at either and now there's Martinez now but give him Grealish and uh, Watkins see what he does like so it's that's how small the margins are and Villa are very fortunate to have two quality players the only thing that was that was just pointed out really was without Ross Barkley in the pitch no Ross Barkley had to go off very early in the match I think it was the second minute Without Ross Barkley on the pitch, Villa kind of struggled um, creatively because it was every literally everything was going through Jack Grealish, and he still had a pretty good match. I thought it was just everything was going through him, and he normally has Ross Barkley, who's um, this season he's normally had Ross Barkley, who's there to kind of help pick up the slack there in terms of creativity. But they only really kind of had that one out ball or that one kind of creative spark in the midfield that they otherwise would normally have with Ross Barkley as well as Jack Grealish. And he had two international games in the legs there, uh, which is very important to say on Grealish's behalf. Like, you know, it reminds me a lot of last season. Grealish, he did look isolated out on the left and people were doing the running for him and it just, it just didn't, didn't really suit Villa in the game at all. But undoubtedly, the match of the weekend going into it, and it was an interesting spectacle, I would say, was Tottenham's 2-0 win against Man City. Now, when we were predicting the game, I thought it would be kind of similar to last season where City would dominate the ball, probably get more shots off, like probably even a higher XG and stuff, but would lose the game. And that's basically what happened. It just, it's an absolutely horrific matchup. And you could tell from the first minute in that game, couldn't you? Just Tottenham just counter-attacking that poor City defence. Yeah, of course you could. Uh, it's it, You could especially see it on the second goal. Kyle Walker has been exceptional clearing balls off the line, last minute, last ditch, everything. But he's just pushed up far too high. And he didn't run. To be fair, he didn't run back. But he was never getting that ball, even with his pace. Like, Pete Kyle Walker's never getting there. But De Bruyne just not doing his run. You think he could have done more to stop Lochelso. Lo but... Uh, yeah, it's it's very worrying from City because there's a lot of money spent in that back line. Uh, spent in that back line, like Ruben Diaz has slotted in quite well, but it's ultimately a Mourinho masterclass, isn't it, lads? Like, just not a great matchup of managers. Uh, Spurs played really well. Like Kane, his hold up play and just as we passes off the break were class. Uh, two counter attack goals finished nicely with Son and Chelsea. 
Uh, it was, as Connell was saying, that uh, it was City dominating the ball, but what else would you expect from Man City? That's what they do. But what's having, What's the point of having all that possession if you're not going to do anything with it? We're so accustomed to them running down the line, cutting in the box, and then having a wee drag back into the box and a shot, and it was a goal. Like, Sterling running down the line, but uh, Regulon was exceptional. He was really good, uh, and he was really impressive at the weekend. What is it that you think's changed about Man City? Because there was that aura of invincibility where they got 100 points, 98 points or whatever it was, where, generally speaking, letting them have the ball wasn't a good idea because it did break you down. You've seen teams who tended to press, like the likes of Liverpool, would cause them problems because they weren't comfortable getting pressed. And when you've seen a team go out there, try and defend for their lives, it wouldn't work. But now, over the last season or two, or, you know, last season and this season so far, that doesn't seem to be the case. You, I just don't have faith in them breaking down the team. And the only attacker they've really lost is David Silva. I know they've lost Leroy Sane, but he's not the type of player that would break down a low block. What do you think's changed about that? I was about to say, I think it's, I think it's just our attack, because like, they still got a lot of creativity in midfield. Because... Bernardo Silva still kind of plays more of a deep role in midfield than instead of an attacking role. Um, and the Bruins kind of more like playmaker in the midfield. What I said, like, especially this year and last year, they've been missing Aguero quite a bit, especially this year. I think I did last year, he was still kind of around. But even our front line, Sterling, it's, it's hard to say where they've gone wrong exactly because Maris doesn't look brilliant. He looks fine against the smaller teams that are kind of easier to break down that, but I, I don't think I've seen him step up against any of the big six, really, uh, in any of those games at all. I don't think uh, that City team, I don't think he's going to be one that's going to kind of win them the big games. Up front, Jesus is good, but again, he's not. I don't think he's going to score you 20 goals a season. I don't think he has even reached that milestone for City yet, albeit he's never really had a prolonged run the team because Aguero was Aguero he's not really going to get jaffed out of that City team I don't really know what else it is I think it's maybe just teams have gotten a bit used to the side of football I don't know maybe that's kind of something that happens yeah, I think the problem lies in midfield like your your David Silva's your Fernandinho's and obviously your Aguero's too like these old City signings are the best signings that the club's ever made I mean arguably De Bruyne now as well but De Bruyne's very isolated there. Rodri isn't a like-for-like like with Fernandinho. He's just, watching him on the ball, he just looks uncomfortable at times. He's just not going to be that shithouse that Fernandinho is that they need right now. And David Silva's creativity, like they have a lot of fairly similar player, but, players, but not David Silva in there. And De Bruyne looks a bit lonely. And you know, he's undoubtedly one of the top five players in the league, but he's looking like a bit of a cross-merchant at the minute. And he's looking a bit lost and... No one's finishing them city crosses off at the minute. That's just that's just it. Yeah, I wonder maybe it's trying to replace players. They failed to replace players because they lost Vincent Company and Vincent Company. They don't have a leader in the team like Vincent Company was. I know maybe it's, there's a bit more to win a league title than just having a good leader in the team. But there's nobody in that team that's gonna kind of take the the game by his scruff of the neck, and they're not gonna pick players up when they're one 0 down or two 0 down. Like you saw it time and time again when Company was at City if they're ever struggling to get a win or they ever need to, if they were just struggling to break teams down, maybe he wasn't the one to that was going to break the teams down. But he's, at least you had someone on the pitch with a little bit of charisma. There's, there's nobody on that City starting lineup that's going to scream at players and going to... Well, De Bruyne might... did it, actually. Did you hear that? 
Yeah, he's going mad. Off. It was brilliant. That's what I. That's what I'm loving about this lockdown football. You get to hear little snippets like that. But yeah, essentially, you're not looking to. What was De Bruyne saying in the Champions League post match? Let, like Let, Let, Let me talk. Let me talk. I think the problem lies with uh, Raheem Sterling. Uh, since he's let his hair grow out, he's less aerodynamic, so there's more air drag. So he's not running as fast to get the end of these crosses from De Bruyne. Shaves the head, City will win the league. That's the it's, problem. It's, it's a pretty dodgy haircut, it has to be said. Oh, it's tragic. Brilliant. He made fun of Chunks for having a bad, a bad hairline. Yeah. He started laughing at him, but... <laughs> and his, uh, his Movember effort as well, just the combo is just... It's mm, giving me Narcos vibes or something that's terrifying. Maybe bold managers just need bold players to, to get the results. Yeah, Vincent, so company, Vincent Company didn't have hair. Just saying. Yeah. Now he did silver when he was fishing up at City. Fernandinho, bald. Exactly. What do they need no hair. Do you think it's almost a, a mental fatigue of breaking teams down? Because they were so good for so long. Like That's the only thing I can think of. Because you see these yeah. teams who have great period of success and they just can't replicate it after a while. And like you look at City, their team really isn't any different than sort of three, four years ago. You had Aguero there, you had Sterling there, Bernardo Silva, Mares, all these boys, De Bruyne, all these boys have been there for at least three or four years. I don't even think they were particularly that bad last year. This year they've had a poor start. I don't think there's any getting around that. But even last year, the two years previous last year, they got 198 points out of, what was it, 220-something, which is ridiculous. But last year, like they weren't, they still weren't even that bad. It was just the fact that Liverpool was so good. I think City still end up getting, they got over the 80-point mark and you know maybe were still probably below where they wanted to be. But there's there's been plenty of seasons where the points that City got would have won them the league or would have had them at least challenging for the league. I think... When people were saying City were bad last year, I think they're overestimating how bad it was. I think they were still very good. It's just Liverpool were just kind of on another level last year to what people were expecting. Because, like I said, Liverpool didn't lose a game until the 28th match. And before that, they'd only dropped two points. So you're never going to keep up with that, no matter how good you are. I know City did do that the year before. When they've done that for two years previous, it's really, really hard to keep up that standard for three years in a row. I don't really know about this year. There seems to have been a little bit more of a drop off. Um, I can't. I don't really know particularly why it's happened, but maybe it is just maybe it is just that little bit of mental fatigue. That's after signing a new contract. Well, well, not quite a new contract, but I think he extended his contract by a further year, so maybe he knows something that we don't. To, the same I'm, actually as well. Sorry, see that twenty twenty four clubs here too. No, no, I, I don't. But moving on to other matters now, we have a very good interview coming up pretty soon in this episode with James Carew from Pogue McGoal magazine, and he's an Arsenal fan, so he's talked about Arsenal, but you lads weren't present during that, so I, I need your take on Arsenal's situation at the minute. Performances are poor, results really aren't much better. Is Mikel Arteta just David Moyes with a nice haircut? I have no idea. I genuinely, I cannot figure out Arsenal <laughs> at all. Like, I wish I could tell you what I think is wrong with Arsenal. I think their squad overall is pretty shit. They've got one or two good players in there, but their overall squad just isn't good at all. I yeah, honestly, I'm clueless because I don't I don't know how you fix that situation. It's it's kind of like Liverpool. If you kind of when we were growing up, they kind of come off the back of a few successful years, and then they had three or four years or four or five years even where they couldn't get near the top four. Maybe they just need to change how everything's structured at the club because things didn't really change Liverpool until Klopp came in. They got rid of the transfer committee. Um, the board kind of stopped getting in the way of on-field affairs and what was happening in the dressing room. 
I, I honestly I don't know how you fix that situation because they've tried replacing Wenger, they tried replacing Emery. It's still not particularly working out. Maybe they just do have to give Arteta time. I have no clue though. Look, it's uh, I think the crux of the issue is Stan Kroenke up at uh, the top. Like none of his franchises, be they in America or here, have won a league title when he's been the majority shareholder of the franchise or club in Arsenal, and he's out there buying seven hundred and fifty million plus dollar ranches. So you have to question the commitment there. They're ultimately their aim as a project is to get Champions League football year on year. That's the goal of Arsenal Football Club it's not to win a single trophy although Arteta did very well to win the FA Cup so but I just believe that's the problem and there's misinvestment the Ozil contract you can point to now Aubameyang is looking like he signed the thing and it's it's not going well um, there's just not a lot about them and Pepe is a disgrace like and Ar- Arteta coming out and throwing him under the bus I think that's going to blow up in the media soon as well like he's finished at the club Pepe like is He's over as a Premier League player. Uh, and the young lads are really good and they try a lot, but and they've got a great youth system. Uh, but God, it's just not enough to get them over the line. I don't even think they're going to get top four this season. I don't think it'll be down to Arteta, to be honest with you. I think the main problem is recruitment. I think they linked to all these players during the summer hour war and then they signed party at the, the end of the window. They only signed one player and then you think they're Marquis signing Nicholas Pepe. More like Nicholas Pepe. The man was... Nearly eighty million pounds. And when Tim Sherwood said, uh, if he costs this much, how come Jack then Jack Grealish would cost 150 million? And when he said that, I was like, You're an idiot. But now when you think of it, like if he was worth that much, Jack Grealish is considerably better than that man. And he's just so bad. Party and the boys, like they just need more firepower in midfield. They've no creative spark for midfield got rid of Ozil and he's on this mad contract Bamyang after signing a new deal and he's awful like he he got the contracts like he doesn't care anymore they didn't sign any centre backs they've no midfield they're just dreadful they're a hopeless club at the minute in need of some serious serious um, top ups in the first team squad just on what James was saying as well like the young lads that come in like that's another comparison you can kind of draw on to early 2010s Liverpool is like like that Liverpool had they didn't spend a whole pile of play, money on players and then when they did they overspent like you look at Andy Carroll spent 50 million on him he was on mad wages and he wasn't very good and um, you could quite compare that to Pepe and then even at that like Liverpool had a load of young players coming in you had the likes of Jay Spearing was playing Jordan Naive kind of came into that team as well uh, John Flanagan who wasn't particularly good um, like David and Go and all them, like it, it is. I do think there's a lot of similarities between Arsenal now and Liverpool five or six years ago. Kind of trends in football, teams have on as what teams are on the way up and teams on the way. It just it goes in cycles in football. I think I don't think Arsenal are going to be like this forever, but I do think they're going to be. It's going to be another three or four years before it kind of sorts itself out. It, it does go in cycles, but unlike sort of American sports where you can tank, you can finish bottom and then get a good draft pick. It doesn't work like that in the Premier League. You, you need to be a well-run club. This is why I'm basically, I have no hope held out for United having any real success over the next few years because structurally, we're an absolute disaster. But we did expand on that on my conversation with James from Pogba Goal, so you'll hear that later. So we're going to go through a little quickfire one here. United bet West Brom. It was a bit of a non-event. I tweeted about that. 
United did just enough to win. I've seen some people saying it was horrendous, putrid. It wasn't quite that bad. Now, we absolutely have to improve. Again, you know, at home to West Brom, United need to create more than that, assert themselves more. But, like, we did just enough to win. Like, and it needs to be improved on, without a doubt. See, Chelsea went away to Newcastle and won 2-0. Pretty comfortable victory, but I think Timo Werner's performance was a bit concerning. Absolute stinker performance. Don't say anything about him. Don't say a thing about Timo, right? He's coming in in a big way this season, right? One assist that game. It's not looking great, but his German brother Havertz out the side. You look, other other big signs out the side. 2-0 uh, win away at Newcastle. It was 2-0, wasn't it? I'm not talking yeah. about my arse here. Yeah, it was 2-0. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I watched the game. That's how interesting <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah, he did miss a few chances, but look, on another day, I think he scores. He has one uh, overturn for offside, and it was offside. I think when he starts hitting for him, and he's everyone around him, I think Chelsea will be a really interesting attacking prospect, but I don't think it'll come at the right time. I think they're due in L next week against Spurs, and we're going to get on to that, but yeah. That's how I feel at the minute. A little sneak peek of your preview there. But then other matters in the Premier League, Everton managed to get back to one in ways with a 3-2 win away to Fulham. Attacking looked brilliant. Defensively, a bit shaky. Wolves and Southampton played a, a bit of a bore on 1-1 draw. I think we are expecting a better game there, but that tends to be the way it goes. Moving on to the next part of the podcast, we have an interview with a very special guest, James Carew, the co-editor of Pogue Magool magazine. Okay, so delighted to say we're joined in the line by co-editor of Pogue Magool magazine and website, James Carew. So how are you, James? I'm good, Connell. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. I think it's a really fascinating guest. So if you're not familiar with Pogue Magool magazine, you absolutely should be. Now, if I used to describe what the magazine is, I would say it's a weird, in the best possible way, eclectic mix of articles and feature writing. It, on basically anything football so for example i have the last issue from last year beside me now and it could be something as something as sort of mainstream as a piece on maybe christian pulisic or mesut ozil or it could be as obscure as a piece on yugoslavian side Vojvodina, who gave celtic a scare on their way to european success in 1968 so it could it's a real mix of everything isn't it james yeah that's a good description connell i think um it's basically what we wanted to do was make a, a magazine that looked as good as the writing was good inside. So the design and um, the illustrations and photography is is as important as the quality of the writing. And that comes from my brother, the co-editor, Key, is a graphic designer. And I, I have a journalism background. So it's a kind of perfect mix of both of them. And... We were kind of inspired by those other publications like the Blizzard or Howler, those kind of magazines that took a deeper dive into football stories. But there wasn't anything coming from Ireland. And we, we've always felt, we use this phrase a lot, football culture. Irish football culture is just as valid as any other countries. And growing up following League of Ireland and the Premier League, we brought our passion into this project so that's where it came from really yeah it's football culture it's a hard thing to sort of pin down but just like there's a piece there on I think the 90s team Nantes in France and how, like I had never knew that they were a big deal back then I'm, I'm only 20 Nantes are are they even in the top division in France now the I couldn't possible, tell you <laughs> exactly so just 
I love pieces like that. They're absolutely fantastic. And you touched upon that you want this sort of appearance and you know artwork photography to be as important as a writing. And that is very, very clear. I have it here. Obviously, we're not going to be doing this in video format, but just look up Paul McGowan magazine and look at the new issue. It's sort of like a Gazetta della Sport. It's got the pink and it looks beautiful. And one thing I actually love about the design is the fact that the contents are right in the cover. It's a strange artistic choice, but I do really like it. Yeah, that'll be down to key. Uh, We've probably stubborn brothers bashed heads on that, but I've learned over the years to go with his judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is our sixth edition, but issues one to four would have been in newsprint format. So essentially looked like a newspaper. And Mm -hmm. in those those, um, editions, we were able to give white space. So in other words, one one illustration could take up two whole pages of a newsprint, which is very unusual. Uh, we decided in the last issue we wanted to step things up a little bit and, and put something a bit sturdier that would, would last longer. All of these editions are intended to be a keepsake. You can probably tell by the writing. They're quite evergreen. Take a look back into history or take one aspect that doesn't date very much. So the idea is that you would like these editions enough to hold on to them. And that's where, where the design comes into it. Yeah, because uh, I have an office in this house. We're actually moving in a couple of weeks, but it's the other end of the house. So the internet isn't any use. So it's like, ah, geez. you know, obviously with online college and that recording the podcast. So I had to move the table down here to the front sitting room, which we don't use an awful lot. <laughs> and it's, there's absolutely nothing on it. And I was like, what can I put on this just to make it look a bit nicer? So I have a book on Dundalk's double win in 2018. <laughs> I've got Inverting the Pyramid by Jonathan Wilson. And I've got the Pogba goal issue five here because it just looks class. <laughs> we're, we're in good company there. So Ex- thanks very much. Exactly. Yeah. So talk about the magazine, the origins, where did it start and where did that idea come from? So we're followers of football my family would be a football family even though we're from Kilkenny uh, we're a soccer family and we've just grown up playing it being interested in it Um, I worked in journalism in sports journalism for various outlets in the UK and Ireland and Germany and Key and my brother who other brother Graham who originally started as an artist Key is a graphic designer so when you put your passion or your work into a hobby like this. That's where it stemmed from. So we began as a website or a a blog as it was in those days. So it's about nine years ago. And blogging was becoming very popular in that it was kind of crossing into the mainstream. You would see bloggers being referred to in, in publications like The Guardian talking about football. So blogs were becoming more and more popular. You had blogs on Arsenal and Liverpool becoming more prominent. But there wasn't anything really coming from Ireland. Um, So we started out as a kind of an irreverent look at the Irish national team, which is where the name came from, really. But partly because one person's funny is another person's irritating. It was hard to sustain it. And partly because covering the Irish team uh, became a bit of a slog. (laughs) Yeah. We, we Okay, we qualified for the Euros in 2012, which was brilliant for being one year into running the website. But as we all know, that didn't go very well on the pitch. And from then on, just kind of reporting on the Irish team just became repetitive. And so we decided to indulge in our passions, which was Key's very big on design and 
gear, uh, the latest looks, quests, this kind of thing. And that's where it kind of, it just naturally stemmed from there into a publication. So as, as, as there isn't really anything like this being done from an Irish viewpoint. And um, this isn't our full-time jobs or anything. It's very much a passion project, but we're on to our sixth edition now and people seem to like what we're doing. And as we have in every other issue, we're using contributors, not just from Ireland, but from countries all over the world. Actually, that's a wonderful transition onto my next bit because you've got contributors here in issue five from the likes of England, Ireland, obviously, Sweden, America, France, Austria, uh, Northern Ireland, Italy, Serbia, Japan, etc. I could go on there. Yes. How do you go about getting people to contribute to the magazine? Do you just send off a load of emails? Is it very targeted? And in terms of actually the production of it, is it any more difficult during COVID? Well, we welcome contributors from anyone. So any, anywhere, anyone uh, can get in touch with us to write for our website. Over the years, we've built up a bit of a following and um, certain writers and designers that we like, that we go to. But um, it's a combination of writing and design. So Key will approach the designers, again, in our latest issue, sixth issue, just to give you an idea, contributors again from USA, Netherlands, France, Brazil, Poland, Argentina, Colombia. So it's a real eclectic mix. And then kind of up and coming Irish journalists or people looking for a break or who've just got in touch with us over the years. So we have some go-to writers and contributors, but the door is open to everybody to get in touch with us and, and write for the website. And in that respect, we're always blown away by the fact that we're based in Ireland, but we reach out to some of these designers who work with massive brands like Adidas and Puma and football clubs. And But when they see that it comes from Ireland, they're really interested to be involved. And that's always really heartening that we ask them to contribute and they want to. So I, I like, again, asking someone from Argentina, for example, to, to illustrate a story on a League of Ireland club. I think that's a really a really nice collaboration to see what they come up with because they've probably never heard of them to start with, but that doesn't stop them getting involved. Yeah, And is it any more difficult to get it just published, like it, like physically published in COVID? Or is it even better because people are at home and saying, ah, yeah, Logan, Auto Magazine? Um, we've, we have a loyal following. We're really grateful to anyone who purchases the magazine. It's never easy to publish, to self-publish or independently publish. We, 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 make, we bang the mantra that print is not dead, but for advertisers, it can be very difficult to, to get advertising in. So this is, we've opened pre-orders at the moment and pre-orders is really what supports us to bring it out. If, if people like what we do and could pre-order, that helps us to bring it to fruition. And then we can bring the print the print run to the masses. So it's not easy to be an independent publisher. We don't have a sugar daddy or a, an Abramovich backing us to publish this. But I think if something's worth doing well, if doing at all, and that's where we come from, we want to do something of high quality to the best that we can do that people we think will enjoy looking at as much as reading. And the issue six is out next month. What can people expect from that? What's some of your, your favorite features in it? So again, it's a mix of, as per usual, Irish stories, along with stories from, as you say, the weird and the wonderful. 
I myself have written a piece on Cuban football because I think you could pick a any country in the world or any club in the world or even a cl- any club in Ireland. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find an interesting story. And in, in researching about Cuba, you find that since the revolution in the 50s, they banned professional sport. And so while they have a football league there, many Cubans who played with the national team or went on tour to the USA would defect and not go back to Cuba, partly to pursue a dream of being a footballer and also to pursue a better life. I think there are stories of like youth teams and Olympic teams. So very young kids or very young adults leaving to go to America and not returning because they wanted to pursue another life in the USA. And I thought that was really interesting. So in, in terms of Irish content, there are features on Liam Brady, who's like a beloved figure both in Ireland, then in among Arsenal fans, and of course in Italy for his mm-hmm. time at Juve in Sampdoria. There's even a piece on Katie Taylor, who people may know she played uh, football for Ireland, but there's a little story of while she was an underage international, her roommate would find her shadow boxing in her hotel room, which I think is... If you think about what Katie Taylor has gone on to achieve, the idea that combining international football and at the same time training to be a boxer, I think is that is amazing. And then historic pieces about Ireland and Bohemians in the time of the Spanish flu, pieces on Shamrock Rovers, and then other pieces um, about people like Eric Cantona, even Maradona, and uh, even, again, we expand on a piece we did in post-Yugoslavian football in issue five. We look at it from another angle in this issue, which is on a club called RNK Split, which lots of people have heard of Hadjuk Split. And this is their kind of cross-city rival who are lesser-known club. So I think there's something for everyone in it, long-form and short-form pieces. And at the same time, photography spreads and graphic design that make it, as I keep saying, just as good to look at as to read. Yeah, so absolutely looking forward to that. I'm going to put the link in the description for anyone who wants to buy that new issue. It's only six euro, which when I went on, I couldn't believe it was that cheap. It's absolutely well worth it. I remember I got the issue five because they were giving out free copies at the first lockdown. And I was like, oh yeah, like I've never actually got around to getting one of these. And well worth six euro, I can tell you. So I'll put that in the description. But alongside the magazine, you've now launched your own podcast, which is how I got the idea to get you on the podcast so just in terms of the podcast is this going to be running alongside the magazine is it going to be coming out every week or are the subjects are they completely different completely separate to the magazine we'd always wanted to launch a podcast um we wanted to do something a little different though in that this is launched directly to coincide with the launch of the magazine so to start with, the guests are people who have contributed to issue six. So the first episode is uh, with the author of a piece called Training Day based on a bomb scare at Old Trafford. I don't know if you remember this. It's about four yeah. years ago. I vaguely remember it happening, but it kind of passed passed into the news cycle relatively quickly. So the author, Taylor Gill, revisits it. But in fact, Taylor was a young journalist working on the story. And the piece is about the security firm that was largely held responsible was essentially a one-man band. And this horde of journalists turned up at his house the next day and Taylor was amongst them. And how 
expecting a kind of uh, someone to reject the responsibility. He held his hands up and said, no, I was responsible for this. I think that's a really interesting story, allied with the fact that Manchester has had its share of kind of bomb bomb scares and bomb reality in the past. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that story. And issue two then is about Pavel Nedved, who I didn't know actually something in his physical makeup, whereas the, whereas the regular person has one kneecap, his knee is made up of three parts. Uh, so this is really interesting to just explore if it hampered him or helped him to become the legendary player that he is, especially in Juventus. And then the last episode um, uh, refers to that incident with Bohemians in the time of influenza about 100 years ago, which is both very historical and very topical with the times we're living in. So the intention will be that we'll produce more. Um, We've got five other issues that we could delve back in to bring guests on to discuss. So hopefully... um, people will enjoy it and it's a little bit different to the other podcasts out there i've only listened to the bohemians one so far but i'm going to go back and listen to the united one because as a manchester united fan i do remember that quite well i was actually i was going over to barcelona that day and i remember it was the last day of the season yes. and i was on the flight when the match was supposed to happen so i remember getting off the plane being like wonder if united won or whatever and seeing all this thing happen uh, yeah. so yeah that was the last game of the season so they all play at three o'clock or four o'clock you know all the games happen at the same time but I actually ended up getting to watch it the next day so it had to be postponed so yeah quite quite strange and Pavel Nedved that is that's quite strange I'm definitely gonna have to listen to that one yeah well, I think it uh, what we wanted to do differently was the people who went and researched it so to get their take on it and we tried to have a little bit create a little bit of conversation about other topics so the Nedved our, uh, conversation expanded into players in general who maybe would fail a medical in the strictest sense nowadays, but actually went on to be great players. So I think there's a little for everyone in the podcast. And we hope if people like them, we hope to continue them. Yeah. So I'll leave the link to subscribe to all the podcasts on Spotify, Apple. I'm sure you're on all them. So I'll leave the link in the description as well. So make sure to follow that. And James, you're an Arsenal fan. So coming at it from a Premier League perspective, what have you made of Arsenal's recent form? Arteta seems to be coming under some pressure. I personally think that's very harsh in him. It's typical Arsenal, isn't it? Um, I I have a lot of my friends who are Arsenal fans will send messages to each other that um, you can never rely on Arsenal. They will go on a run. Usually they have a wobble around Christmas time and can't sustain a title challenge. Other times they might do it in reverse, have a good Christmas. So I, I personally was was happy Arteta took the job. I think you can't learn from anyone better than Guardiola. Um, he's a young manager. He's younger than me. He hasn't a grey hair on his head. That may well change if he stays in the dugout at the Emirates. But you have to stick with him. He's been quite ruthless um, in terms of how he treated Ozil and Ganduzi. So I do think he has the bottle to really have an impact. As ever with Arsenal, um, transfer windows are a huge part of it. So Arsenal is Arsenal. They they won't sustain a title run, but as they did last season, they may challenge for something like the FA Cup. So um, don't include Arsenal in your football accumulators, but it's even harder to be a fan if you're trying to rely on them. 
Yeah, it, like it wasn't too long ago that people were, were singing his praises. You know, they came to Old Trafford, the 1 1 0, perfectly executed game plan. And now, just a couple of games later, people are jumping on his back. And it's, it's kind of Arsenal fans that I'm seeing who are saying he was amazing and he was the best thing since sliced bread. And now, a couple of games later, they're saying he's not good enough. And I just, so fickle. And considering he's working with really not a great squad, like yeah. it's pretty easily the weakest squad in the top six, I'd say. I think like someone like Pepe, who was they spend huge money on, is not contributing. He doesn't contribute goals. He hasn't really physically bulked up since they signed him. The squad is a very average squad. I won't win any any of my fellow Arsenal fans over, but I also find a lot of Arsenal fans fickle and quite irritating. I think Arsenal fan TV became a phenomenon, but it became a national phenomenon or an international phenomenon when they were calling for Wenger's head. So they are only popular when they are being overtly negative. Mm -hmm. And when the team is playing well, they're a non-event. I don't have a great deal of time for that kind of thing amongst Arsenal's fan base. No more than we need to do with... Stephen Kenny in the Irish job, you have to give a you have to give a manager time to get his uh, philosophy across. And as ever with Arsenal, if you're not backed with a budget in trans the transfer window, you have to wait and let the man work. Yeah, it's just these sensationalist takes just every single time. Like if you go on, lot, we'll get on to the sort of Arsenal against Dundalk thing that's just yes. managed to happen somehow. But I remember there was reactions coming out they film themselves watching every single game I'm sure yes. you know yourself where they're sort of you know all the seats are aligned and it was against Dundalk and they were going crazy yeah they were going crazy for every goal I can promise you that's not how you're reacting you're like nice one we score because it's a Europa League game at home to Dundalk nothing yes. is that dramatic they were going in front when Pepe scored doing that and it's yeah it's well, I, <laughs> I spoke to you just before we came on, Connell, and you said you're a Dundalk fan. So you're, you go to games, and that's yeah. the difference. How many of those Arsenal fans go to games? Okay, yes, the Arsenal fan TV guys are there outside the ground, so they're obviously at the matches. But in a previous life, I worked in Germany as a social media manager for the Bundesliga, um, running their English accounts. And I'm always fascinated about this kind of global appeal of following Borussia Dortmund from Japan or the UK or France or the USA and this kind of faux obsession. How much can you really be a fan of a club when all you do is watch them on TV, maybe at two o'clock in the morning if you're in one side of the world? So this kind of plastic obsession doesn't wash with me. And it's almost done to an extreme level to compensate for the fact that you don't go to games. And that would be my take on it. That won't win me any fans or any kudos, but that I think that's a very real thing. It's, it's compensating for like going crazy for scoring a goal against Dundalk in the Europa League. It's like, come on, it's, it's, yeah. it's not really uh, realistic, is it? Yeah, absolutely not. That's where we got the the name for our podcast because we are Irish Premier League fans and we just wanted to acknowledge that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're not trying to say that we don't acknowledge the League of Ireland. It's just, yeah, we're, we're bar stoolers in this very sense. We chose a team when we were eight years old and it sticks with you, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I think that's, we could talk for hours about that whole 
the barstooler thing. I think if you acknowledge it, <laughs> then yeah. you're if you then you're on the way to recognizing it. So, but you go to games or you follow League of Ireland. Mm -hmm. I'm the same. I grew up watching League of Ireland. I class myself as an Arsenal fan because just like you, I picked a team when I was eight years old. And three decades later, that's a lot of time to invest in following a club. Yeah. And you can go to any country in the world and they will follow the Premier League. So this idea of um, looking down your nose at someone for being a barstooler is not on. But at the same mm. time, if you are a barstooler, recognize it. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes you do, you do get League of Ireland snobbery. You absolutely do. Yeah, People absolutely talking do. down. And it's not the way. You don't get someone to come to League of Ireland matches by giving out to them. Yeah, We could talk for hours about this, Connell. Um, I, I like the principle of support your local club, but the reality of Ireland and Ireland's mm. makeup is... Uh, not everyone has a local club. And when you grow up with tribalism and GAA parish versus parish, county versus county, it's not in our makeup to support a team from a neighboring county, whatever the code. And you have to recognize that. And so this, this constant banging of support your local club works in some senses and not in the other and not in another. So we really need to recognize there's, we're not going to win people over by looking down our noses at them. As I said, in issue five, you have a piece on Mesut Ozil. What's your take on him just not being involved in the squad at all? Surely he could contribute something, especially in the money he's on. I'm that, Arteta disappoints me a little bit with that. I thought he was going to be a coach who could get something out of him. He And he quite at the start, he was playing Ozil. Um, I don't really like these public statements from a manager by leaving a player training with the under 20s for example i think if you're a coach then coach get the best out of a player we we can all recognize ozil on his day can be a fantastic player so coach him and if the club's not going to get money get the money for him he he's wasting away uh, sitting on the stand so i think it can be quite petty and that has disappointed me with Arteta he's not he doesn't seem to have the work rate maybe he doesn't have the work rate for Arteta's style but uh, coach him then yeah coach the game plan into him and if he doesn't if it doesn't work then go to the board and get rid of him yeah and we touched slightly earlier on Arsenal against Dundalk you know obviously I'm a Dundalk fan but as a League of Ireland fan yourself unfortunately you weren't able to get to it but seeing the League of Ireland team play Arsenal was that surreal for you? It's huge. And I was supporting Dundalk, 100%. Yeah. So even messaging Arsenal uh, colleagues and friends, they were saying like, we, we, we. And so I'm, I'm saying, I'm actually up for the Irish team here. And I thought they did really well. They were sucker punched just before halftime um, and again, just after halftime. So the, the people who criticise League of Ireland will still criticise it, even though we have teams in the Europa League group stages. Now, they may not win a game, but they won games and drew in the, la the last time in the Europa League. This, I, I know not everyone will agree with this, but I do believe the rising tide lifts all boats. So to have Irish clubs in these competitions does raise the standard. Because if you want to compete with Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers and get to their level, that's where you have to aim for. Um, when Shamrock Rovers played Spurs in London in the Europa League a couple of years ago, I was at that game. And it's one of the best experiences I had in football. 
the Rovers fans were brilliant that day, but I wasn't sat with them. But when Rovers went 1-0 up, Irish people all around the stadium were going crazy. And we got a <laughs> few kind of, well, we could have got a few slaps where we were. Most people kind of recognise us that, again, as you say, we're going, we've gone yeah. behind here to a small, without yeah. wanting to be offensive, club. And uh, But it was brilliant to see so many Irish, London Irish people react to the Irish club going ahead. And unfortunately, we didn't get to experience it with Arsenal uh, this time around. But you never know what might happen in Tala. If it's in Tala. <laughs> yeah, it'll be in the Aviva, I think. Or Aviva. It works for a disadvantage, I think. A big yeah. pitch like that. I think Arsenal, well, you know, they didn't tear us apart exactly in the Emirates, mm-hmm. but we didn't exactly lay a glove on them. But Which I wasn't expecting to. As a Dundalk fan, I was so happy watching the match. Like, yeah. even, even when they scored, it was like, when they scored the third goal, I said, ah, and the floodgate's going to open here. But we just, the game plan was pretty much perfect because... We did a preview of it on the channel yeah. and I was saying to my mate Ronan, it's like, I'd be delighted with a 3-0 loss here. Yeah. Because I think there has to be a sense of realism because the League of Ireland, the Premier League, it's it's two different sports. Oh, yeah. You absolutely cannot be expected. And in general, I think people did praise and talk and said, yeah, fair play. Like they didn't look out of place. But there was even some people sneering because yeah. we didn't commit a foul and stuff, you know. I think on social media especially, there was a lot of praise for Dundalk from Arsenal fans, which I think is great to see about the style they were trying to play. You'd probably acknowledge yourself, this isn't a Dundalk team on a par with the last one in the Europa League. They they probably had a little bit of luck in terms of the teams they had to play to get into this one. And they're under transition with this the new Italian coach. So... Um, but you take you take what you have. You take a team in an Irish team in the Europa League all day long. So it can only raise the standard for those players and for the teams trying to compete with them. Be very interested to see what Rovers can do now next season. Yeah, uh, my Irish, uh, you know, the, the badge of honour I have for being a follower of the domestic game might be called into question if Rovers get a couple of good results. <laughs> I, might, <laughs> yeah. I might start begrudging them then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for Arsenal... Obviously, we're early on the season. Do you think you can get top four or do you need January? Do you need boss or your squad in January? I think top four is always a good achievement. It would be a good achievement for Arsenal. They're, in terms of, like Man City are having a lot of stumbles. Uh, Liverpool are weaker in some senses with Van Dijk out and that. Um, but they're still probably miles ahead of everyone. I think it'd be very difficult for Arsenal to get top four. But it, at some point, they're going to go on a run. I do think Arteta has brought a bit more steel into them. I don't think they're the walkover they were. Um, they often struggled against the so-called smaller teams in the past. And he has instilled a little bit of steel in them. But again, I would say, if you're not going to play Ozil, if Pepe is not really up to it, and the bench seems to be forever full of kids with potential probably do need to spend in in January but as ever with Arsenal will he be given the money so it's a perpetual same old Arsenal for Arsenal fans I think I know lots of other people will be saying I'd give my right arm to be challenging for a top four um and but that's the, that's the nature of Arsenal fans 
Yeah, you might well be playing Shamrock Rovers in the Europa League next season, but time will tell. But thanks very much for coming on the podcast, James. Absolute pleasure to talk to you. As I said earlier on, I'll leave all the links in the description to the website to buy the new edition of the magazine, to your podcast links. All that will be in the description. Thanks very much for coming on, James. Thank you, Connell. Really enjoyed it. So going on to the predictions for this weekend's games, if you look at the prediction league in which the winner will get a jersey courtesy of the other three, it doesn't make for good reading for me because I slipped down to the bottom this week as Ronan got six points. He corrected. He correctly predicted Liverpool. No. Sorry. Spurs 2-0 against City. He correctly predicted Spurs to beat City 2-0, so that took him above me. I'm on 23 points. He's on 25. Mix is on 27. And James is out, on, out in front on 32. But the games we are predicting for this week, we're going to start with the big one. Chelsea at home to Spurs, which James alluded to earlier on. This one, it's it's tough. They're two informed teams. Chelsea are definitely doing better now. It's at Stamford Bridge. I'm going to go with a 1-0 Chelsea win. I think Chelsea are going to perform. Spurs will revert back to type a little bit. I'm going for a 1-1. I just think... It's Mourinho against an old club. He doesn't. He's always kind of up for it. And Spurs, whatever Chelsea, I don't think Chelsea would be good against any of the big teams they played this year. Um, they weren't great against United. They were pretty piss poor against Liverpool. Plus, I also think Spurs are just playing better football and are better organised. They will be without all the world, so that might be if they have to play your man uh, Rodden at the back. So that might be. Chelsea might be able to take advantage of that with Timo Werner if he shows up. Um, but other than that, I think we go for a one-all draw. I don't really see either team being overly better. If either team was going to win, I would say Spurs was going for a draw. I am also going to go for a draw, but I'm going to go for a two-all draw. And my heart would say Mourinho wins. Slap Frank Lampard about the gaff because Frank's the worst, isn't he? We all want to see him get sacked. ASAP Rocky but uh, yeah Mourinho I don't think Lightning's <laughs> going to strike twice for him this week and I think uh, yeah I'm going with a draw uh, I think Bale's going to come back to the side Havertz is back for Chelsea they're just going to cancel each other out so yeah fancy a draw on this one it's a tough one this one like I've been thinking about it a lot but I'm going to have to give a prediction now aren't I um, you're on the spot I'm going to go god this is difficult it's a good game two sides in good form uh, 2-1 Chelsea uh, just yeah not much else to add to that two sides in good form yes a lot yeah so going to the next game we've I, I don't want to be too harsh on Arteta because I actually think he's doing a good job but when I said he was the you know David Moyes with nice hair just being devil's advocate there but there's no doubting they're struggling at the minute Wolves are coming to town this weekend Arsenal are travelling to Norway on the Thursday to play Molde in the Europa League. And as critical as I've been about Wolves this season, I see them going to Arsenal and getting the job done. I think they're going to win 2-1 to heap pressure on Mikel Arteta. That is a very interesting assessment. I have to say, when I found out Daniel Poddens was 25 this week, I lost a bit of faith in humanity. Uh, So they've just... They've dropped the ball a bit. Nuno's dropped the ball. They're away at Arsenal. Oh, I don't know. I'm gonna go for gonna go for a two nil. I'm gonna go two sorry, not two nil. I'm gonna go for the reverse. I'm gonna go for two one Arsenal. I think Arteta is gonna get the monkeys off his back this game. I 
probably go for something similar. I don't know, maybe one nil Arsenal. I don't. I don't think Wolves look brilliant at all this season. Um, didn't think they were great this week against Southampton, and I watched a week before against Leicester as well. I, I, they haven't impressed me once this season. Even the I can't remember what game I watched. The the one the lead against the one that won against Leeds was one I watched as well. I didn't think they were brilliant in that either. So yeah, I'm going for one nil Arsenal. I'm going to go for a serious nil nil here. Uh, just two very uninspiring teams. Wolves. They haven't got off well at all. They've lost Doherty and Jota. Uh, two massive players for them. Jimenez has been pretty bad. Arsenal, as we said before, they're Arsenal. They're not very good. So, yeah, pretty pretty poor game this one. So next game, very interesting game, I think. Southampton at home against Manchester United. And oh, as a United fan, I'm not exactly looking forward to this one. I do think, obviously, Ings is injured at the moment. So there'll be no Danny Ings. I think that makes Southampton considerably less dangerous. But I think, then again, you have to factor in no fans. St. Mary's, it's not a great place to go. I was kind of thinking about fans at St. Mary's. But no, nah, I'm going to stick to my prediction 1-1, where both sides kind of think they can get a result, but they're just a bit cagey. 1-1. Right, I'm 5-1 United. <laughs> uh, and the reason 5-1 United is because uh, I am doubling up my United assets for Rashford and Bruno in the FPL sense and I have Che Adams too so Che is going to get a wee consolation goal like he did I believe oh sorry that was um, Joshua King I had uh, away at Old Trafford last season and it was the 5-1 so this is going to happen again once at a bomb at Southampton um, but yeah uh, just Ralph Hudson Hoodle let's just get that uh, smug grin off his face that he has at the minute let's let's do it Ole go on I think Southampton are good um, I've been pretty impressed this season so far but without Danny Ings they don't really well, they still offer a good bit going forward Jay Allen being brilliant and uh, James R. Price started well this season and even Walcott looks decent but United away from home actually seem to be a little bit more competent this season than when they play at Old Trafford for whatever reason so I'm going to go for a I think they're going to sneak a 2-1 victory. It's going to be a tight match, though. So I, I'm going to go for 2-2 in this one. Alpine Klopp, he's going to get the, the draw against United. Yeah, and it's a shame that Ings is injured. I would love to see him slap a few past United, but hopefully Che Adams, United, drop some more points. Good win for the Premier League. Or good, what am I on about win? A good result for the Premier League. So going on to the next game, I picked this game because I think it's really close to call because both teams... I've been miserable this season. It's West Brom at home to Sheffield United. And the Blades, they just haven't been the same at all this season. Again, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what it is, but I think they're just reverting back to type a little bit because obviously last <clears> season they just way exceed expectations. But I think West Brom aren't as bad as some people make out. I love Mateus Pereira, Grady Diangana, Callum Robinson. They have a really dynamic front three. And I think they're finally going to get a win because Sheffield United, mentally, they can't be in a good place. I'm sure they're questioning what's going on. So 1-0 West Brom. Is Callum Robinson on a permanent, actually? Yeah. Okay, so he could come home to to Roost now for uh, Blades. I'd fancy that, to be honest with you. But yeah, I'm going to go with a 2-0 West Brom. Just put the pressure on blades at the minute they're just having pure second season syndrome and if this continues you tip them to be the third team to go down I can't believe I'm saying this but I'm also going to go for West Brom I'm really fond of Sheffield United and Chris Wilder they're just a bit shit at the minute aren't they um, 
I think they're actually dead last in the Premier League now after Burnley's yeah. win at the weekend. So they need to get results soon, and I don't see them getting results. This will be one where they could pick up results, actually, which might help the confidence. But even West Brom have looked a little bit better than them. Shit, the back, but they've, they've got a few going forward that look kind of decent. Cam Robbins a little bit dangerous. Dean Garner's pretty good. Pereira is all right. Um, See, so yeah, I'm going to go for a close 2 0 victory to West Brom. Uh, West Brom 2 0. Um, they're a lot better going forward than uh, Sheffield. And Sheffield, they offer nothing going forward. So I can't imagine them testing uh, West Brom's defence too much. And Ramsdale is an awful goalkeeper. Henderson, they didn't know how well they had it with Henderson last season. Uh, Rumour has it that Ramsdale has never made a save in the Premier League ever. So I'm <laughs> sure that goal will be getting peppered by Robinson and the boys the weekend. I do remember saying when they signed him that I didn't rate him. I can't remember who it was. It, it mightn't have been any of you's, but I remember just being thoroughly unimpressed with him. But anyway, going on to the next game. Two teams that have had good starts this season to varying extents, but it's West Ham at home to Villa. West Ham, like to their credit, like Moyes is doing a good job. Like he's got a pretty limited squad in some areas but I don't know they're just defensively they're solid and then they always seem to find a way to score however I'm going to go back on that opinion I have because I don't think they're going to score this week I think Villa it's weird Villa last season I kind of hated them as a team I thought they were terrible and now I really enjoy watching them just that addition of Ross Barkley and Ollie Watkins has helped Jack Grealish out immensely so I'm going to go with 2-0 Aston Villa win at London Stadium I'm going to go for a 2-1 Villa win like yourself I think West Ham would look very good at the back but they don't really offer too much going forward they always seem to manage to get a goal but I was even I was watching I was kind of passively watching the match there against Sheffield United at the weekend I don't really know I don't really know what to make of West Ham because they're good but they're not I don't I don't really know what to say because they're a shit squad and I don't like well they're not shit squad their base 11's decent but there's no players in there that are Really brilliant. Fornal's all right. Suchek is decent. They're the best shit team ever. Yeah, yeah. That's just a good way to put it. So yeah, I'm gonna go for. I'm still gonna go for two one Villa win. I think they're still. I don't think they're gonna to be too upset by the or too affected by the Brighton result at the weekend. Yeah, I'm gonna say one nil Villa. There's a lot weird about West Ham as we're touching on there. Like Moyes and Antonio. Although Antonio's flying, and I don't know if he's coming back for this game. That's a confliction of styles. Like. West Ham want to go towards the Europa League. Yeah, so I'm going to go for a 1-0 Villa win here. I think I've been very impressed with Greatish. They're going to want to have a response this game. And West Ham, there's a bit of a confliction of styles as what they're trying to do. You know, look at your fornals, look at all these different ballers in the club, and then you've got guys like Antonio still knocking goals, but they're just never going to achieve what they want when they're sort of such a big contradiction uh, as a club at the minute. So yeah, one nil win for the Villa. Get them back on track at the London Stadium. I'm going to go with a slight bit of a bold one. Villa are going to come out with some fire in their belly. They're going to put four past West Ham. Keep them out, shut out. Clean sheet, four nil Villa. Grealish hat-trick. Olivier Watkins, one goal as well. As Jerogan would say, it's entirely possible. But that just <laughs> brings a close to the end of our podcast. So as always, if you're watching on YouTube, I'd really appreciate it. If you like, subscribe. We love doing this. It's definitely a passion project, but we do appreciate when we do get some feedback. If you're on the streaming platforms, appreciate just following, downloading, all that stuff's great. 
thought that was a great episode fantastic interview with James Carew from Pokemon Goal again all the links to their socials and to buy issue 6 of the magazine are in the description and as always we'll be back next week with another episode thank you for listening Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.